Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Have you ever had a question that you want a real answer to, but it never seems to happen? Have you ever had a question that seems controversial? Have you ever had a question that you've been too afraid to ask? Join Valley Point Church as we tackle some frequently asked questions. We're going to attempt to answer some of the questions that you and others may have about God, the Bible, church, or just life in general. You ask it, we'll give it a shot. Well, welcome to the Sunday where everything kind of returns to normal. And I'm really glad that you're here and I'm excited for Valley Point Church and for you and for our future. I also want to welcome you to the first Sunday of this brand new series called Frequently Asked Questions. And honestly, this is one of the most enjoyable, free-flowing, interactive series that we do all year long. And I want to let you know that we're going to have a lot of fun with this. By the way, I think church should be fun, right? Like this should be one of the most engaging hours of your week. So no falling asleep, okay? As a matter of fact, turn to somebody next to you and say, you cannot fall asleep today. Go for it. Well, every year we walk through the series, I always throw out a few disclaimers, a few things that we all need to know so that we're on the same page. So here's disclaimer number one. I am not going to be able to answer every question. I'm not. We just had a ton of questions that came in over the past few weeks, and if I answered every single one of them, we would be here all day long. So I'm not going to be able to do that, and I must say that your questions were fun and challenging. Some of them were tough, and some of them were even crazy, which is good. I'm okay with crazy, and we're going to answer a couple of crazy questions as well, and we'll have fun as we go on this journey together. But I just want to let you know, I'm not going to be able to answer every single question. So that's disclaimer number one. Disclaimer number two is that my answers are based on Scripture as much as possible. And the reason I say that is because I personally believe that everything we face in life, every challenge, every difficulty, every tough thing can be found or a solution, an answer, a takeaway, a principle can be found in Scripture. And if we would look and read and search and dig and jump in, that we would be able to find some of the answers that we're actually looking for. Often what we tend to do, though, is say, I don't want to take the time, and I don't want to read, and I don't want to search, and so we don't find the answers. But if we actually did that, if we engaged in God's Word when we had a question, I firmly believe we would be able to find a principle or something that speaks to everything that we face in life. There's actually some very interesting words found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that say this, all scripture is inspired by God. Now, we could stop there and spend all day just thinking about that phrase because it's packed with power and impact. All scripture. That means every single page, every single word we find here, all of it is inspired, which that word means it's breathed out by God. God is the one who breathed out these words, and different human authors recorded them, but God made sure that they recorded exactly what he breathed out. 
so that we know everything that we have right here and everything that we hold in our hands. And when we have questions and we go to Scripture and seek out these answers, we can know, look, all Scripture, all of this has been breathed out by God. And guess what? It is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Does anybody want help with the truth? Or does anybody want help to know what's wrong in your life? Yeah, see, we can find that right here. Because all scripture is breathed out by God, so it's useful. Here's what else it does, which is interesting. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. See, the Bible is very useful. And so when we have questions, when we have stuff that we're trying to figure out, I believe God wants us to jump right into here because all of this is breathed out by him, and it will help us to know what's right. It will also help us to correct and and get right with God. Verse 17, which I'm not going to read, talks about how God's word actually prepares us to do every good work and every good deed. And so the word of God is very, very useful. So disclaimer number two, my answers are, are based on scripture because all of it is useful and all of it has been breathed out by God. Now, if you don't like one of my answers during frequently asked questions, which I know you're probably not going to agree with everything, I actually have someone that you can send an email to at I don't like the answer at ericslosthismind.com. So there you go. Not a real email. Some of you are like, huh, let me type it. So not a real email. All right, let's jump into this. And before I go to question number one, I'm actually going to do a pre-question because a lot of you have been asking about my ice maker. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago during the Red Sea Rules, during that series, about how my Red Sea Rule is that my freezer stopped making ice and I'm not very handy. I don't know how to fix things. And so I just gave up on it and told the family there's going to be no ice in this house. And I was very mad and very upset and very aggravated with that because I like a full cup of ice every time I have something to drink and there's no ice in our house and I have no idea what to do about it and no way to fix it. So I want to let you know, I actually fixed the ice maker all by myself. I actually did, yeah. Thank you. I'm very happy with that and now I have fixed one thing and that's good for me for many years. So, like, I'm good with that. So the ice maker is back and we have a freezer full of ice. So life is good. And I want to let you know that. All right, let's move on to a real question number one. And that is, a couple of people asked about this. How do dinosaurs figure into history according to the Bible? And does the Bible say anything at all about dinosaurs? The answer is yes. There is no doubt that they existed. And Scripture does speak to them, in my personal opinion. As a matter of fact, we know that scripture speaks about dinosaurs because we actually have a picture. Check this out. Yeah, see, dinosaurs are in the Bible. We've got a cartoon. That's all you need, right? Actually, I think this goes back to origins. And what is it that you personally believe about how the earth and everything in it was created? I want you to think about that for a few moments and wrestle with that. What do you personally believe about how everything came to be, about origins. How was the earth and everything in it created? If you believe in creationism, as described in the Bible, 
the book of Genesis, the very first book, which is my personal belief system as well, then you would say that dinosaurs were created on day six. In Genesis chapter one, we have this amazing chapter where it talks about all of God's creative, inventive work. And it talks about how God created things on day one and day two and day three and day four and day five. And then God gets to day six and he creates all of the animals. And I believe that would include dinosaurs. And they would have coexisted with humans who were also created on day six. Now, if you have a different belief on how things came to be and how the earth was created, then you might say that dinosaurs and humans never coexisted, that that's not possible. I believe in the six literal days of creation, that God spoke and things just started to happen. I understand a lot of people disagree with that. A lot of people who are smarter than I am and have a lot of degrees to back up that information and their research. But here's the thing. Whatever you believe about how things came to be, about how the earth was created, you believe that by faith. You have faith in someone or something or some theory because we weren't there to see it. So it's by faith that we accept these things. And so again, I would really encourage you to think about what do you believe about origins? What do you believe about how the earth and everything in it was created? Because how you answer that and how you respond to that makes a big difference in a lot of different ways. Sounds like a great Sunday afternoon activity, doesn't it? So good luck thinking and wondering and dreaming about how the earth and everything in it was created. So dinosaurs in Scripture. Well, I think the Bible describes a couple of different creatures in such a way that it's very likely and very possible that they were actually dinosaurs. And there are Bible scholars who would agree with this and say that these two particular animals were very, very likely dinosaurs as we know about them. There is the behemoth as described in Scripture and the Leviathan. So the behemoth was a massive animal with a big tail and ate plants and grass. That's the behemoth, just a very, very big animal. The Leviathan was probably one of these guys, a little short-armed dinosaur. <laughs> Can you tell I'm not a scientist? That's, you know, behemoth is big, Leviathan is one of these short-armed guys. So we've got the behemoth and the Leviathan, and, and they're described in Scripture. As a matter of fact, we find God having a conversation with an individual named Job, someone that God had created, a man who was living. And God begins to point to the behemoth and the Leviathan and say, Job, look at them and consider them. So do we find dinosaurs in Scripture? I really believe that we do. I want to take you to Job chapter 40. And here's verse 15. Again, this is God's conversation with a real living person. He says, Job, take a look at behemoth, which I made just as I made you. Take a look at him or her. You know, take a look at it. Because I made him just like I made you. It eats grass like an ox. See, it's powerful loins and the muscles of its belly its tail is as strong as a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are knit tightly together. Its bones are tubes of bronze. 
Its limbs are bars of iron. It is a prime example of God's handiwork, and only its creator can threaten it. Now, some scholars have tried to identify the behemoth as a hippopotamus or an elephant, which you can make a strong argument for that because those are very large and big behemoth-type animals. But when you think about the tail of a hippopotamus, that's generally kind of a short thing. And the tail of an elephant can be thin and narrow. It probably wouldn't be described like a cedar tree. But there are some dinosaurs, like the bronchiosaurus, that were just massive things that had tails that could be described like a cedar tree, tails that would cause a lot of damage. So that's the behemoth, this big, massive animal with a big, big tail. And God is talking to Job, and he's saying, look at that animal. Look at the behemoth and how big and massive it is. That's the behemoth. Well, in Job chapter 41, God continues this conversation, and he talks to Job about the Leviathan, the little short-armed guy. So listen to this description, verse 12. I want to emphasize Leviathan's limbs and its enormous strength and graceful form. Who can strip off its hide? And who can penetrate its double layer of armor? Who could pry open its jaws? For its teeth are terrible. When it sneezes, it flashes light. How about that? Its eyes are like the red of dawn. Lightning leaps from its mouth. Flames of fire flash out. Smoke streams from its nostrils like steam from a pot heated over burning rushes. Its breath would kindle coals for flames shoot from its mouth. The tremendous strength in Leviathan's neck strikes terror wherever it goes. And when it rises, the mighty are afraid, gripped by terror. No sword can stop it, no spear, dart, or javelin. Its belly is covered with scales as sharp as glass. It plows up the ground as it drags through the mud. Leviathan makes the water boil with its commotion. Nothing on earth is its equal. No other creature so fearless. Of all the creatures, it is the proudest. It is the king of beasts. So here we have a great description of a freakish animal. It really is. Probably a dinosaur. And that's the Leviathan. So the behemoth and the Leviathan, were they dinosaurs? Well, it's interesting because Scripture doesn't use that word, but when you consider these descriptions, it makes for a strong case for them being some type of dinosaur type that would have coexisted with humans. And God is having this conversation with Job saying, look at the behemoth, it's right over there. And look at the Leviathan and how terrible it is. It is the king of the beasts. Very likely dinosaurs. Which kind of brings up this question. If humans and dinosaurs coexisted, well, this sounds like a really bad scene from Jurassic Park, right? Doesn't it? Like you've got dinosaurs and they're wandering around and they're just eating people and this is a hot mess. I mean, this is a really bad thing that's going on. Well, maybe the dinosaurs have been given a bad rap, right? Maybe it's more like this. I don't know. Brings up another question. 
And that is what happened to the dinosaurs. If they coexisted with humans, when did they actually die out? Well, there is the second boat theory, and you can see that right here, where Noah said, you know what, let's put all of the creepy animals on another boat, and then let's bomb them, because when all of the water evaporates, those things are going to eat us, so let's just get rid of them. Maybe that's what happened. Actually, the Bible doesn't talk about how the dinosaurs died out. But it's very likely that after the great flood, as described in Genesis chapter 7, where the whole earth was wiped out, when that ended, that the environment and the atmosphere of the earth changed in such a dramatic way that the dinosaurs would not have been able to survive. So that's what's going on with the Bible and dinosaurs. Okay? Question number two. Why does Eric always point up to the sky before he prays? Well, it's simple, really. I'm just putting the point in valley point, right? That's my answer. Actually, this is a funny story because I wasn't aware that I was doing that. Supposedly, when I pray, I kind of do, you know, one of these. Maybe a little John Travolta move or something. I, I don't know. But I do this pointing thing, which I wasn't even aware of, so... I was having a conversation with a group of people, and they're like, do you know you point every time that you pray? Like, we know when it's going to happen because you do one of these things. I'm like, I don't point when I pray. And they're like, yeah, actually, you do point. I'm like, no, I do not point when I pray. And they're like, yes, you do point when you pray. And then I got really, really mad. I'm like, I do not point when I pray. And so Tanya was part of this conversation, and I looked at Tanya, my wife, and I said, Tell them I don't point when I pray. And she said, well, actually, you do point every time that you pray. So I guess I do, and I found some scripture to support this. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God. Now, do you see the word lifted? Shake your head. Do you see that word lifted there? It's the Greek word apero, which means to point. Actually, it doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean to raise up or to lift up on high. So that's the best excuse I have as to why I point when I pray. The secret's out now. I guess that's what I do. All right, here's question number three. I told you some of these questions were crazy, didn't I? So here's number three. Uh, What's happening with our future building? Well, back in May, I made the very fun announcement that we are pursuing a permanent home for Valley Point Church, and we're going to do that on our Bethel Road campus, which is very close to here. And I'd like to use this opportunity and this question to really give you the most up-to-date information that I have about our future home and our future building. So I want to break this down kind of into three different parts or three different items, and Here's item number one. It's the development of our campaign and our campaign teams. So we're beginning a campaign that's going to take us from here to there and just help us walk a very spiritual journey of figuring out how God wants this for us and and how we're going to get there. And so we're putting together some different campaign teams that are going to help us with that journey and help us with the process. And so one of the things that I've done so far is establish a campaign leadership team. And so I want to share with you the three individuals 
who are going to be leading this team and leading us in this whole spiritual journey because I'm very, very excited about them and the things that they've already done and the work that's already been put into this process. And I want you to see their faces and know their names so that you can chat with them and pray for them and encourage them because they have an enormous task in front of them. So our campaign leader for this whole thing is a guy named Lee White. And many of you have seen Lee before, and he's taught on this stage. He's been an elder. He has hosted a life group. He also works with Men of Ice. And one of the things I know about Lee is that he is a compassionate leader. And one of the things that I thought was very important for this campaign is we have somebody who has the ability to cast vision and lead, but they can do that in a compassionate way. And Lee is that individual. He's that type of leader. And I also know this about Lee. He has a deep, deep love for Valley Point Church. And so he's going to be leading our campaign, and I'm really encouraged with that. We also have two co-campaign leaders who are going to be over different teams. One of our co-campaign leaders is Tom Dole. And Tom's been attending Valley Point with his wife and with his son. And Tom's actually on one of our teardown teams. So can I hear it for all of the teardown men and women? Yeah, these guys are brave, wonderful servants. And our setup team as well, the men and women who help with that. These are just amazing servants here at Valley Point who set everything up that you see from our lobby environments to our children's environments. And then we have a whole different team that takes all of that down and they stay after when they're very hungry and when they're missing kickoffs to football games. They're here loading up carts and rolling that down the hall and putting that on trailers and then driving that back over to our campus. So these are just wonderful servants, and Tom is a part of that team. And I know this about Tom. He is one of the most encouraging individuals that I have ever met. And I have benefited from that encouragement, and I know many of you have as well. And now as a whole church, we're going to get the chance to benefit from that as well. Tom's going to be over five different campaign teams, and I'll be introducing those men and women who are leading those teams at our campaign meeting tonight. But Tom will be over five of those different teams. The other co-campaign leader is Jason Betts. And you'll often see Jason behind the bulletproof drum shield. He is one of our artists and is a gifted musician, and he's going to be leading four different campaign teams. And here's what I know about Jason. He's got a great desire to see the church move forward and to implement different ways to pull that off. And so I'm really excited and thankful for his leadership as we venture into this together. So Lee and Tom and Jason are our campaign leaders And again, I would ask that when you see them, you encourage them. They're doing this, and they're not getting paid for it. Uh, They may not know that yet, but uh, they're not getting paid for this, and they're going to give up a lot of time in the next several months as we put this spiritual journey together that's going to take us from here to there, and we're going to see God do something in them and in all of us. And I am just super excited about the leadership that God has put in place that's going to help us with all of this. Now, we've got nine different campaign teams. And again, tonight, I'm going to talk to you about these different teams and the men and women that are leading them. 
And I would encourage you, if you're interested in jumping into a team, you just come tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to be meeting right here, and we're going to do some fun things, and I'm going to cast some more vision, and then we're going to break up into these different teams and talk about how we're going to build this spiritual campaign. And if you'd like to be a part of that, or if you'd like more information on that, to make a decision about being on a campaign team, I'd encourage you to just come out tonight and we'll talk to you about being involved in this great thing. So we've got a wonderful, wonderful leadership team in place, and I'm excited about what God is going to do through all of them. So that's item number one about the future building. Item number two is that we've chosen a builder to lead our project, and they are a design-build firm from Lancaster called Horst, H-O-R-S-T, Construction. And they specialize in church construction, but they do a lot of other things as well. And we're really encouraged with the work that they've already done for us. We've been partnering with them since July. And one of the things that they've done is that they've captured our vision for ministry, which is really a very different thing for a builder to do. Instead of just coming in and saying, you know, here's 20 buildings, pick what you want, and off we go... They actually sat down with our ministry leaders and said, how is it that you use space? What is it that you're doing? How do you function? What kind of ministry do you have? We want to get that in our heads so that we can begin the process of translating that then into ministry space. And so that's what they've been doing. The other thing that Horst Construction has done for us is they've helped us interview two different architects and then we'll make a decision on which architect will begin to design our building. So they've already been great to work with and have become a wonderful ministry partner. They get churches, they get us, and how we function, and they've asked wonderful questions, and I'm excited about having them on our team. Item number three, one final update, and that is we have a campaign name. And it's what we're going to call this whole project and the umbrella that we're going to put all of this under. And the name of our campaign will be Real Home. Real Home. Now, if you've been here at Valley Point for any amount of time, you've heard us talk about real relationships and real significance. This is our whole mantra. It's our whole theme. It's our whole goal that we would build real relationships with God, ultimately, and then with the people around us. And that then we would use the one life that we have, the one life that God has given to us to do significant things. That God can use me, God can use us to have impact in the lives of others. So real relationships and real significance, we want to add a component to that. And that is a real home. Because I believe with everything inside of me that we'll be able to, with this new tool, in a greater and in a more effective way, point people to real relationships that inspire real significance, and we'll be able to do that with a real home. Now, why this name? Well, it's something that we don't currently have. We're a portable church, and we've been setting up and tearing down for eight and a half years, and it's now time for us to have a home, and it's a normal thing to long for a home. Think about your own life and your own journey and where you live. It's normal to long for a home. It's a very fascinating piece of scripture found in 1 Chronicles chapter 17 where we find a leader by the name of David. 
and he lives in a palace. He's actually a king, and he's the leader of God's people. And he gets this desire on the inside, kind of this holy discontent as he lives in his own home and in his own palace, which is remarkable. And he looks out, and he senses that they're setting up God's tabernacle, God's church in a tent. So where God's people worshipped, it was portable. And they were setting it up and tearing it down while David lived in this magnificent home. And so David gets this holy discontent on the inside. And he says this in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1. When David was settled in his palace, he summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace. But the ark of the Lord's covenant is out there under a tent. And then Nathan replied to David, Do whatever you have in mind, for God is with you. And this whole little conversation that David has with God's appointed leader, the prophet Nathan, starts him and God's people on a journey where in time they build an actual temple, they build a church, they build a home for God. And when you walk through the pages of Scripture, it is normal and natural to see God's people longing for a home, longing for a place where they can respond to the greatness of God and make His name famous. We obviously can do that anywhere and everywhere, but one of the places we can do that is in a place, in a spot, in a home that is dedicated for that. And David and God's people chase that in 1 Chronicles 17. And this is what we're chasing now, a real home for God. See, it's for Him, ultimately, for His name to be made great, for His name to be lifted up in this area and around the world, a real home for God. But there's more to it than that. Our desire is also to build a real home for others. Not just for God. We want to do that, but also a real home for others. It's for those who aren't here yet. It's for those that we have been inviting. It's for those that we desire to fill a chair next to us. It's for others who have yet to hear about a God who cares about them and loves them, and they can enter into this loving and compassionate Real relationship with God. It's for others. But there's more. A real home for God and a real home for others. But it's also a real home for me, for us. It's an opportunity for us to deepen our own relationship with God. It's an opportunity for us to build relationships with the people around us. And it's a chance to do significant things with our life through a church that is positioned and has a tremendous desire to use everything that we have, all of their resources, including their facility, to be a bright light in their community and to do significant things. So this is a real home, a real home for God and for his name to be made famous. It's a real home for others, too those who aren't even here yet, that we're inviting to fill all of these chairs. And it's also a real home for me, where I get the chance to deepen my friendship with God and use my one life to make a lasting and significant difference. A real home. It's normal 
and natural to long for that. And this is the journey that God is taking us on in the next few months and years. You know, if you're here for the very first time, I want to let you know that Valley Point is on an amazing spiritual journey. God is taking us somewhere. And we would love and we would desire for you to join us on this journey of developing a real home for God, for others, and for me. So that's the most up-to-date information that I have on our building and really thankful that somebody asked that question. All right, one final question for us, and that is, what's a good place to start reading the Bible instead of just start to finish? I know a lot of people actually pick up the Bible and they just begin with page one and they start with Genesis and how God spoke and created things and they just begin to walk through all of these amazing Old Testament stories and then they make it into the New Testament where we get the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four of them that give the narrative of the life of Jesus and then the letters to different churches and then the book of Revelation which talks about end time events. Some people do that, but it's kind of rare. It's really kind of rare, and it's very challenging to do that as well. And so before I give some recommendations on what I would suggest as a way of reading through Scripture, for those of you who are looking for that, I want to talk to you a little bit uh, about Scripture and the uniqueness of it. So the Bible is a collection of 66 books in totality, 39 books in the Old Testament, and 27 books in the New Testament. And those books, again, were brought together to give us exactly what God wanted us to have and to know so that we can answer the different questions and take our problems and our issues straight here into these 66 books. Again, God inspired these writers and he inspired these words so that these writers wrote down exactly what he wanted them to record so that when we open this up, we can be sure. This is God's word. This is what he wants us to know. So if you are thinking about jumping into God's Word, which I would encourage every single person to do, like this is a great choice to say, I want to open up God's Word and I want to find out what it has to say to me. So if you are thinking about that, here's three different recommendations for you, all right? And again, we've left the notes section in our program blank, so you can just write down as much stuff as you want. I'd encourage you to write this down and think about what God might want for you in terms of jumping into Scripture. Here's recommendation number one. It would be to read the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. I've actually mentioned this before on many different occasions, but if you're new to Scripture, this is a great place to start. It is a collection of wise sayings that were appropriate back in the day. They're also very appropriate for how we live today, and they will speak directly into your heart and directly into your life. Uniquely, there are 31 different chapters in the book of Proverbs. One for every day of the month. So you just take whatever day it is, read that chapter, and I think you'll be in good shape. So today is September. All right, a few people are awake. Today is September. Yeah, so you just read the eighth chapter of Proverbs. And here's what else I would challenge you to do. Get a journal or a sheet of paper, or your smart device, whatever that might look like for you, and just begin to write down different words that were interesting to you out of the chapter that you read for that day. Or a verse that just kind of maybe smacked you right in the face. Like, oh my goodness, I needed that today. 
or something that really challenged and encouraged you, just write that down. And then throughout the day or the next day, just look at your journal one more time and think about that. See, this is God's word getting into your heart and into your mind, and that will change you. If you're looking for that and you're wanting that, you want to be a new person, one of the greatest ways that you can do that is to get God's word into your heart and into your mind. So we got to open it up, and if you've never done that before, the book of Proverbs is just a fantastic place to start, and chapter 8 is today, so have fun reading that. All right, here's the second recommendation, and that would be the book of Mark, which is a gospel in the New Testament. Now, the book of Mark is the shortest of all the gospels. Now, that's not why I recommend it to you. I recommend it because it's just an amazing narrative of the life of Jesus, and things just come to life of what he said and what he did and how he interacted with people. And if you want to get a great scope of the life and the impact of Jesus, then the book of Mark is just a wonderful place to start and a pretty easy read. If you're looking to go a little bit deeper, I would encourage you to consider the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. This is a very unique book written to a church. It was to the church at Ephesus. That was the city, and it was written by a guy named Paul. And he just got really blunt with them and said, look, church, here's the deal. I want you to do this stuff over here. Like, pull this off. Implement this in your life. And then stop doing this stuff over here. So do this, right? This is really, really good over here. But stop doing this over here. Put this stuff off and put this stuff on. And so if you're built that way, where you just like somebody to say, hey, here's what you need to do. Start this and stop that. You just need that in your life. The book of Ephesians, you will fall in love with Because every chapter just kind of has that outlined in it. Here's the stuff to do. Here's the stuff not to do. And again, a little more of a challenging read, but very direct. And so if you're looking for direct and you want to get hit and challenged and you want to just have clarity on some different things, the book of Ephesians will be great for you. Okay? Let me throw out a bonus for you. It'd be the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And this is a wonderful story about a guy named Nehemiah who had a desire to go back to Jerusalem. He wasn't living there at the time. He kind of worked for another king because he was technically a prisoner of that king. But he was in a high enough position where he could go to the king and say, look, the city where I used to live, like where my family is from, the city that is supposed to show God and his glory and his strength and his might, it's toast. And it is lying in ruins and it's an embarrassment to me and it's an embarrassment to God. I'd like to go back and do something about that. And so the whole story is this very inspiring story and narrative of an individual who goes to the king and says, I want these supplies and I need this and I want to take a group of people and go back to Jerusalem with your permission and with your blessing and I want to build up the walls so that our city is great once again and God's name is honored in that place. And so he pulls that off in 28 days. Just an incredible feat. So if you're a leader And if you're responsible for people and for getting things done and tasks, I'd encourage you to read through this book because there are some great leadership principles and there are some great team-building exercises that you see in there and some great strategies for getting stuff done in a short amount of time under great duress. 
right? So this wasn't easy for Nehemiah to pull off, but he did it, and it happened. So those would be my recommendations for getting into God's Word. Instead of just starting from the very beginning page and going to the end, which if you want to do that, go for it. That's a good thing too. But here are three recommendations with a bonus that I think will engage you in God's Word. So one takeaway for today, and this isn't written down anywhere, so I would encourage you just to think about it. And that takeaway is to take your questions, whatever pops up this week, whether it's about dinosaurs or stuff like that, take those questions and and search. It's not always easy to find. But if we give up, we'll never discover what God wants us to know. And there's something so fascinating and so unique and so powerful and enjoyable about taking something that's bugging me or something that I have a question about and running that through the grid of Scripture and finding an answer. It's very satisfying. And there's something that God does in our hearts when we do that that just changes us and really helps us to trust completely in Him and his words. So this week, questions, frustrations, pains, even joys and successes. Take that stuff, run it through the grid of God's word and watch what he does in your heart. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9:15 and 11 a.m. 